Promise No Promises, Women on Earth. As a sequel to Promise No Promises and Women in Space, the third symposium at the Art Institute, HGK, FHNW in Basel, was dedicated to Earth, its ideas, its spin, its possible dark futures. With Women on Earth, we were seeking to understand the relations between feminism and species coexistence. The issue of nature and of all that is naturalized or deemed unnatural by hegemonic discourses and policy is of particular importance to gender issues, as is science. But a scientific and technical approach to the climate emergency cannot be accurate without taking into consideration how gender, racial and economic violence foster our emergent ecocides, nor by how women, often poor and indigenous women, are overwhelmingly at the forefront of this violence as the very first recipients of. What kind of political and cultural transformation must occur to make these entanglements obvious and of vital concern? How to counter this violence in all its manifold forms? Feminists and global feminisms have always shared a critical concern for science, being that this has long been the field on which the subjugation of women and all the world's others has rested in part. The critique of a patriarchal pseudoscience is also built into feminism by its very nature. And what is that? By addressing questions of a female nature, whatever that is, and by addressing the question of human nature, another ringing question, and then deconstructing both, we not only lay open the question of the power of knowledge, but also the more epistemological questions. What to do with objectivity? What to do with certain notions of distance or neutrality? What to do with an increasing quantification of what we call scientific knowledge? How do we beat the regular and systematic recurrence of exclusion of the same others who recur and repeat across history and its power struggles and the persistence of this process of othering itself? Our guests were Rosella Biscotti, Neha Choksi, Ingela Iermann, Institute of Queer Ecology, Sophie Jung, Lusanne König, Thomas Lempertz, Agnes Meyer-Brandes, New Mineral Collective, Tanja Busse and Emilia Scano-Lütje, Katrin Niedermeyer, Heather Philipson, Mathilde Rosier and Lena Maria Thüring. What would you answer to those that they think that we are completely naive, that the world is just um, defined under on different parameters? I actually think I'm only really a asking questions. I'm incapable of making any answers, uh, personally. Um, As a human being, I think I have certain navigatory te techniques that allow me to live lightly and to be as nonviolent as possible, but um, I I'm pessimistic, I guess. And that probably has to do with, um, and, and I don't know if you, um, if anyone saw that strain of aggression in both the pieces, there is a strain of aggression in them. It's despite all my absolute training as a nonviolent, um, I come from a religion that's called Jainism. It's hyper minor, uh, hyper nonviolent, um, not only nonviolent in the most traditional senses that we think of not being aggressive, but also being nonviolent in 
acknowledging that other people have a point of view and other people's point of views will never match your point of view. There's like this radical insufficiency <clears throat> in understanding someone and that's part of its ontological premise as a religion, which is that, and the principle is called anikantvad, which is multiple, multivalency or, or multi-sidedness to everything. And because of that basic multi-sidedness to most things, uh, it's very difficult for me to see a straight straightforward way forward uh, if you're truly going to be non-judgmental. But it's quite interesting because I think that that kind of multivalency or multi-perspectivism is in both works, and mm -hmm. yet also at the core, at the core of both works, is something so real and material and specific. Mm -hmm. There's a sun, and there are rocks, you know. And I was really thinking about these two. I mean, also because of your beautiful introduction, where you were talking about this kind of argument between idealism and materialism. And I was also seeing that kind of enacted in both these works here, and in all the works, actually, in the last two days, because there's this heavy, heavy, beautiful materiality. And then there's also this, um, this idealism, this, like, this idea of like, language and mental constructs, and the way one, sort of, the way one like, literally dances around and moves around um, uh, the material of the universe and the material that we use, the material we think through and that we embody. And um, yeah, I mean, I, coming back to this question that you posed, choose, it's quite interesting, this idea of, you know, people would say, you know, have ideas of naivety or so forth, but actually when one thinks about like mainstream ecological activism, what does one like actually see at this moment? You see bodies in the streets. You know, and what do we see here? We see bodies in communities, bodies in landscapes, bodies moving singularly, collectively. And I wonder also about, you know, why some bodies in space are sort of privileged to be seen as having like real agency and a real way forward to like affect change and why other bodies in space are marginalized and their movements are not seen as having any sort of um, repercussions. I don't know, that's just uh, something to put out there, but it, I think that that's maybe one thing to like sort of counter these, I, this idea of nativity. This is not how you use your body in space. This is how you use it if you want to affect change. You have to put your body on the line, ultimately. I mean, to affect change. That, there is no escaping that, I don't think. So. Well, well, that's the amazing thing about art and artists is that they are putting the bodies on the line without risking them, meaning that they are embodying <clears throat> the collective also in their own work. So the work is the body and um, is doing that performance for the sake of all of us and for the good sake. So, um, you know, it goes beyond <clears throat> the idea of even um, being touched by violence, as you were saying, I think, and that's exactly what's at the core of the most radical practices in art, they are basically non-violent. It's an incredible claim for that. And, it's, uh, and any, I would say any work or any practice that goes in another direction is quite suspicious. And, um, and, and that's probably what separates the use of technology and the use of same um, or similar ideas on the values upon nature than some artists use and some others don't. And I think that's exactly what we need to be attentive to. And you were saying idealism and materialism. I think it's a fantastic way of going back to the question of how we have been 
program on thinking that there is actually a possibility of dividing in that way. But ideas, feelings, experiences, sensing is a material. It's not as material as the rock. I think it has another substance. But, and that's exactly what we need to kind of massage and, 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 and introduce into the imagination. Because if you cannot imagine it like that, and I, I do think that um, even in my lifetime, I experienced changes in institutions, in contexts, in communities. You know, even the, I would say, even the most radical hate that I am sensing now in the social, I think it's, a, it's an effect of artistic practice. I would say that some of, of, the, of the hate has been provoked by, by art and art's insistence in doing certain things in certain ways and talking about what you said, honoring, respecting, giving, 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 caring, giving, that's so annoying. It really provoked, and that's probably so important that they are provoked because provocation does not last. Right. Also, hate does not last. Living is a violent act, period. It's not a hateful act, and I think we have to separate the two. Violence is not always hate. Um, even digging to grow a plant mm -hmm. is a violent act. If you're thinking mineral extraction is violence, mm -hmm. so is agriculture. And it's one of my next projects involves agriculture and mining. And so I've been thinking about it as violence. Um, but to breathe is violent. You're, you're killing germs as you breathe them in. Something is being lost. Something is being killed. You walk and you're stepping on microbes. Something is being lost. If you, you have to make peace with a certain level of violence in order to live. And I think that's, that's part of my work, ultimately. This is something that I keep stumbling across. I mean, but, you know, the basic question, well, what, what's the point? Um, I feel so strongly. And is art really the, you know, the way to, to sort of affect change? Um, and I'm really sorry that I, I'm going to quote a guy who's quoting a guy, but it is a, a quote that is sort of a um, my mantra or has become my mantra when I forget. Um, so the first is just the guy, it's Adorno. So art respects people by presenting itself to them as what they could be rather than by adapting itself to them in their degraded condition. So he picks up on that um, later and says, you know, obviously it's very important that we fight uh, dominant powers on the streets um, and in the classrooms and um, <coughs> in the workplace. Um, but art has a different function. Art is actually there to give us a glimpse of why we're even fighting, or what we're fighting for, if that makes sense. It makes sense, but mm. uh, it's limited. I think, sorry to be so critical about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> But it's true in a classical sense. It does much more in the sense that art is like becoming really, it's a substance that surpasses its historical function that was very limited. And I think that um, it does affect change because it's, a, it's affecting experience and sensitivity. And by affecting that, it's affecting the whole nervous system of the social contract. You cannot agree on the same anymore. So in that disagreement, or in that non-agreement, more than that, it's an enormous potential because you need to just you know sit again and um, 
and negotiate. So that is on the one hand immense. On the other is the the force. You were saying ambition. Um, we are talking about naivete. I said it on purpose because you need to. You need to really reprogram the kind of anti-heroic language. You need to be unambitious or give it another name, but we cannot be ambitious because that's, that's historic. I think, um, I, where's my horse? I think um, I cannot be ambitious in that way. I'm not gonna rescue the planet. No, I'm not gonna do that. Not me. So it's a, it's a much more complex question and that is really having the, the most amazing exercise. You need to exercise to get accustomed that there's no horse. There is no, um, that the weapons would need to disappear, you know? I think otherwise you go into that quest of leadership and we're not gonna be leaders. So, because the communities that we are talking about are structured in a completely different manner. So, yes, art is making, is the only substance in all the disciplines that we inherit historically that still can rehearse that possibility. So in that rehearsal, it's an incredible Potential, but not only potential, it's happening. I, I, I do believe that without art, many things could not be ambition in the same manner. I think, I, I do believe that many of the things that are impossible are impossible because artists made it impossible. Because there is a sensitivity that, that an experience that they put forward versus certain questions, it's not enough. Of course, yeah. there's much more to be, to be done, to be made, and still there is many, many figures of patriarchalism and historical uh, powers in place that would defy that, but still uh, it's happening, it's, it's happening, it's coming. Even without them wanting it, of course they don't want it, but it's there. I mean, Are I we think gonna see it in our own lifetime? That I don't know. I mean, I think in some ways, like with the quote that you were speaking to, you know, it does, it, it does sort of emphasize the fact that, you know, Art, art making is a kind of speculative field. You know, most fields in the world are, are fields of conservation, of being conservative. They're trying to conserve something that already exists. They're trying to, you know, plant the poles deeper into the earth. And I think that there's a reason also why in this, why, you know, Haraway immediately goes to SF or speculative fiction, science fiction. This has often been a place where people imagine worlds that are more just, worlds that don't yet exist. And they have to use the format of science fiction. They have to use the format of worlds that don't actually exist yet. And I think all art making, in some ways, it is this kind of secular belief system. It's a deep belief in things that do not yet exist. And yet, in the creation of them, in the generation of these forms, it gets closer to that thing actually existing, whether it exists or not. And I think it's this, like, yep. you know, yeah, so ambition is, you know, maybe it has this, like, kind of imperialist, colonial sense, but it's a, it can be, it can be an ambition for, for, for what is, what is to come, not an ambition to conserve and to, like, and to slot into something that already exists, but to imagine a realm that has no place in our current ecosystem, social or otherwise. And I think, or what I take from this is not just things or a future to come, but actually a different type of cognition, um, a different way of, yeah, of going through 
Yeah, I think a, a more can... ethical existence. You know, I mean, to be a to be an ethical person and to make the kind of work I think where everyone here is interested in making also means acknowledging just how incredibly unjust the world is. And as, as you said earlier, that violence abounds. It abounds in all of our sort of daily activities and it abounds in our world. And, and how, do we, how do we like sort of inch closer to a world in which violence will not be ever like expelled or discounted, but that our entire existence isn't predicated on a huge sense of violence that is like kind of everywhere threaded into the system in which we all operate. Um, and and it's, it's very interesting that you are quoting Adorno because everyone quotes Adorno in a certain way and many people forget that Adorno died kind of obsessed with the poetry of Goethe and talking about dramaturgy. Like at the end of his life he spent his, you know, he was a musician as well and then he did the most amazing uh, essays on literature, really amazing texts where he was kind of posing all the force there, saying something very similar. I think from what we have been seeing these two days, we could do a complete seminar on, on film theory and, and theatricality. And then he was kind of going back to it. He was saying, we need a new dramaturgy. We need to relate the elements differently. And the way to understand how elements relate differently is to the, a dramatization, a exaggeration of this, a softness of that, a kind of musicalization of this or that, uh, using the emphasis of language in a completely different way, tucking it different, like, you know, part one, part two, part three. So, this kind of new interest, he died thinking that this is kind of what is, infiltrate, is infiltrating the future in a positive way. And that's what artists are exactly doing. I think that's also what that they putting forward. It's not only words, it's not only values, it's not only communities, it's not only will, because we also have this kind of um, tendency to reduce everything that art is about goodwill and capitalism about bad will. But it's not that simple. The question is also about how they are also kind of ambitioning a new drama because that's exactly what, what helps the thinking is the possibility of foreseeing the scenarios. So seeing yourself dancing in a field of cereals is a scenario that may help you to think about a field of, you know, humans, which are probably of a different kind. And then you could think about that as another migratory project and so on and so forth. So that question of theatralizing, we have seen it in every video, that theater is so, so, so important and that these film practices are kind of in between fields of, of drama, where also nature talks, like it's very operaistic. Why shouldn't nature talk? And of course it talks how we imagine it to talk, we give it the word, we don't know exactly how it talks, but more and more, like we will know, because what Agnes was saying is that if we listen and if we synthesize it properly, we may, uh, reached to a point that we don't need to invent the talk. The talk would be also there. So we can also have uh, more than one dramaturg. And uh, this kind of adding dramaturgs into the picture is an incredible, is an incredible 
twist on politics and the contract. Because, you know, these formats affect uh, how you imagine the parties, because this is what theatre is about, about imagining the parties that play, the players. That's how we think. And um, therefore, it's, it's completely affecting. It's only that it's not perhaps immediate. And it's definitely not in the same way that some of our most dear intellectuals imagine it, because the replacement of, like how we started mixing effect and affection is very recent. Uh, Foucault, like he kind of, in his genius, theatrical personality, decided to go to the streets. He and many, many, many others. But he discovered that the streets could be there for philosophy. Unthinkable. Streets were never there for philosophy. And then he started replacing the roles, like in theater, positioning the idea that philosophy could be immediate. It's not true. But he kind of speed up the tempo of thinking for the quest of politics and then synchronize the actions of the individuals with the actions of history. He was cheating. You cannot do that, meaning it's impossible. But we all believe it because it's a theatrical, it's the most beautiful theater piece ever that you can go and say stop and it stops. Like, what is there more beautiful than that? He's kind of the writer of this, and I think that, yeah, he called it the dispositive, no? Like that, press the button. It's so beautiful. And yeah, he's an artist in doing that. Nothing else than that. And he had an incredible reception, he and many others. But, you know, this was an unprecedented thought before they place it in that stage, the street as a stage. And we still believe it, and we should. And we believe it because we think it's public space. And it can only be public if we occupy it. But it's not true. It's public anyhow. So if you occupy it or not, you are possessed by it. And you possess it too, in a symbolic way. I think, imagine the woman's strike in Switzerland and how controversial it was, because in Switzerland, the space and the possession of the public space is not the same. It's not from the same roots. You should not occupy the streets. If you occupy the streets, it's kind of bad. It's not good. But if you occupy the streets in France, it's good. It's not bad. So, you know, it depends on the dramaturgy of what defines freedom and the presence of certain bodies in certain spaces. So it has to do with theater a lot. And, and it's a good relationship. And who dominates? Who are the masters of those relationships, artists? Because it's an artistic practice, even if it presents itself as immediate politics. But it is still an artistic practice. And it affects politics because politics is very wacky, it's unstable. Politics and its language is so dependent on formats. Now you have a president of the United States, which is completely a television guy. It's a guy that depends on reality TV. He comes from that acts as such. So, you know, it could be theater, it could be cinema, it could be television, but still, there are artistic genres. We're not talking here about that politics is disembodied of it. The parliament is a stage, and in the stage, the roles are played. So, you know, as deep as you go, you would encounter that fiction does not um, leave you. It's kind of in the skin. It's kind of in the matter. So, 
performance, of course, matters, because if you don't perform in a certain way, then you will not reach any effect or the public space or, um, you know, possess it, keep it. Uh, Totalitarizing it is also a theatrical thing. Of course, there's a pragmatics to it, there's a reality to it, but I think that it's art who is really affecting and programming um, those genres a lot, a lot more than we think. Because at the end of the day, we are every one of you in the studios and in your own individual practices, and then we move through channels and uh, contexts where it's difficult to see that. And then even the messages that we send to each other are the repetition of the same misery. And we have very few moments and spaces to speculate with different miseries. But then when you start reflecting on it, you would see that I think, I would not call it positive or negative. I would not say that what I'm saying is giving hope because I don't think in those terms. But influence exists. I think of influence has the form that you expect. This is another thing because you may have incredible influence and yet uh, the results of it do not match what you expect, or they may not affect the expectations towards a better life or values or living in love as you were thinking or dreaming. Yes, it can be, but effect is there. I think there is a force that, that is active, that you can sense, that is present. No matter where you go in the world, no matter to the studios that you visit, no matter to the people that you talk to, you meet more and more people that are really um, embodying this language and that they are kind of caring about similar things and um, yeah that's 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 a mass. I don't know if it's appropriate but I think it's worth mentioning it's uh, related um, to what Sophie said um, there's a group in California called Feminist AI and I got to know them through another symposium for them from the uh, Viscom department um, and they had a lot of stuff on artificial intelligence and I think one cannot absolutely not disregard the influence of uh, social media going viral, the one-to-many relationships, and the nexus of technology, behavioral psychologists, and visual, visual artists, graphic artists. And um, I think um, it's come a lot further, like in, from a technology perspective, um, they're tools that make our, enable um, what we do. Uh, we, we should be in charge of them, but with um, like the onset of artificial intelligence, I think there's a great fear that machines will rule us, <laughs> like Planet of the Apes or... They should yeah. rule us. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, or whatever. But replace I just... me with a robot, small. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to say from a, um, maybe not the analog or dig, um traditional um, visual expression perspectives. One can't dis disregard the digital aspect, right? And we're, they're very much um, visiting the topic of building emotions into uh, usability, user interaction, um, emoticons, for example, in Facebook or... Um, but that was was so important these days that you have seen all these uh, women artists using technology nonstop. I think they are all completely aware of the use of technology, and I think that's something that we need to inhabit. That's why technology is so important to inhabit because otherwise, you know, we program it. It's not that we get programmed by it. So, 
I mean, we program it, women are programming just like men, but the thoughts uh, or the considerations made in how they program it is different with a more um, sensitivity to ethnicity, um, religion, um, emotions. Uh, so that's built into the user interfaces. So the, I mean, that's a huge influence in, um, I don't know, graphical user interfaces or how they're designed. They're looking at the behavior of human beings, all these social media tools. And that is influenced by visual expression, right? What, what makes these quick uh, gratification tools, um, which is really based on visual expression, has a huge influence. And it's not, um, they're not designed just by um, men. It's more of a woman's field now. So I think it's changing. So this group in um, CalArts, I think it, it's called Feminist AI, um, and they're looking to, and they're also considering things like yoga, mindfulness, meditation. So ahimsa. I mean, there's no hate itic, uh, emoticon. It's like or love. You know the negative aspects. That, that's another topic about mindfulness, yoga, these kind of things. But I think it's woven in. So art or visual expression does influence the way in which uh, the graphical user interface or visual expression is made. <laughs> cannot agree more. I think there's so many studies and so many people writing about it and working on it, and I think it's super necessary to, to be aware of it. But I think artists are super aware of it. And, uh, yeah, there's also an enormous tension in between capitalist uses of... Uh, but not everything is the same way. I think, as you said, there's also collectives and people also trying to modify that. It's a difficult war, but um, definitely one worth uh, fighting. So, and it's not an easy one. I wanted to ask one other thing, and it's kind of, it's not quite as serious as, <laughs> as, the, <laughs> as our conversation has just entered in. But there's, you know, this English expression, I don't know where it comes from, kicking rocks. You know, I, and I was thinking it so much with your video because kicking rocks is just, it's like futility. You know, it's like pure futility. Oh, just go like kick a rock, like nothing will get done. And I thought it was like kind of such a funny and beautiful metaphor for exactly maybe these, um, these things of, oh, this is naive. What are you not going to affect any change? What are these, you know, and to like really exemplify that I'm going to kick the rocks. But I wonder, was also this idea, I mean, you talked about it from this anecdote of your childhood and, and your background and your religion, but um, I don't know, was it also, I mean, are you interested not just in passivity, but in like kind of ideas of futility or acts of futility? Absolutely. Um, futile, absurd, um, loss, not belonging, not existing, all of that is really, really crucial um, to the work. Um, there's this trilogy that I did that I haven't presented, and I'm going to go really briefly in it so that you can also speak. It's, a, it's called a trilogy on absenting. The first work that was shot was an exercise in futility. It was plucking uh, and denuding a tree over the course of a single day, leaving behind just one leaf. The second one was rendering myself and four farm animals, two goats, one sheep, one donkey, unconscious for a, a a performance called Petting Zoo. And the third one was rowing a boat made out of ice until it melted and threw me into the lake. Very futile. 
all of those things. Yeah, I think we feel connected to this, also this idea of futility or thinking about energy in terms of like um, the generation of energy, but also the loss of energy. And that can be through mining or it can also be through the body, how we sweat, how we uh, spit. These are also all excessive amounts of energy that's being lost. But um, yeah, as we like open part of the film with like world, we're the world's uh, largest and least productive mining company. So um, yeah, we are very, very uh, interested in slowing things down. So also a lot of the films are, are um, in contrast to the speed of, of uh, say capitalism or uh, extractive industries and even just by slowing them down and making them more meditative. Um, yeah, it makes you reflect maybe a bit more. Also some kind of actions that makes no sense. So the second work for Toronto Biennial was going along with this film where sculptures like these tools that we produced, like created with the waste and the slag from the actual mines and the sites, and we mixed them with metal shavings so if it's like a copper mine, we used slag, copper slag, and the actual copper or gold. And then we created these kind of like tools that go back to the actual drilling holes where they come from. So making these least productive and very non-functional, non-rational, passive, like actions. Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Women's Center for Excellence, a research project between the Art Institute at the FHNW Academy of Art and Design in Basel and the Institutu Susch, a joint venture with Krajina Kulczyk and Art Stations Foundation Switzerland. The Women's Center for Excellence is conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of women in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. The podcast is produced by the Art Institute HGK FHNW in Basel and Institut Susch, Art Station Foundation Switzerland. Moderated by Chus Martinez and Quinn Latimer. Research assistant Alice Wilke. Editing and sound design Elena Ziza. Music Lusanne König. Technical support Esther Hunziger. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please go to our website institut-kunst.ch. That's institut-kunst.ch or request information or subscription to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch That's info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch Institutu Susch is part of Museum Susch, an initiative by Art Stations Foundation Switzerland and Grazina Kulczyk. More information can be found at 
museumsusch.ch. That's museumsusch.ch. Copyright Institut Kunst, HGK, FHNW and Institut Sush, Art Stations Foundation CH 2020.